looking at the issue of mattering things as it relates to meditating on the word of the Lord today. We'll read Psalm 1 first. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. I also want to read to us another verse along with this passage that, that goes super well with this, this idea of meditating on the word of the Lord. It says this in Joshua 1, verse 8. And this was a passage that I, that I memorized when I was a freshman in college. It says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Meditation and receiving God's blessing is closely connected. On the front cover of your bulletin, there's a quote that summarizes sort of the heart of this series, and it's this, because almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time with him, with Jesus. And there's all kinds of mattering things in your life in a, in a wide variety of areas that these small, overlooked things, but when done over time, change your life, make a difference. There are mattering things for your physical body. Working out, eating healthy, taking care of yourself. They matter. They're mostly overlooked things. No one sees you doing them, but they're important, right? And there are mattering things of the soul, of which this is what this series is about these spiritual disciplines, these graces that God has given us, channels, vehicles, means by which we experience God's love, his spirit, and his grace. And above all these, in my opinion, is this thing, this mattering thing of meditating on God's word. Psalm 1 serves as an introduction to the rest of the Psalms. We've actually studied Psalm 1 already this year, so it's a it's returned to such an important passage. And this morning, we're going to look at the promise of meditation and the practice of meditation. The promise and the practice of meditation. And first, there are three promises found in this passage. Maybe more, but there's at least these three promises of the person that meditates and delights in the law of the Lord. And it's this. That person will be blessed, rooted, and able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. Blessed, rooted, and able to stand the promises of meditation. And the first one is this, you'll be blessed. The truth is, we all meditate on something. Some things that we meditate on, you know, are, are, don't lead to blessing. But the reality is, you're, as you think about meditation, I want you to think about the kind of things that come to your mind. But we all meditate. Every one of us, no matter whether you're a Christian or not, has things that you are focusing on, your heart attaches to, things that your heart, soul, mind is 
focusing on, meditating on. And here's what I want us to see this morning, ultimately, is this, that what you meditate on, what your heart meditates on, and you don't choose whether you meditate. As a human, you do. What you meditate on shapes you. What you meditate, what your heart clings to, focuses on, it shapes you, changes you, morphs you into a type of person. And the psalmist says, really, it's one of two types of people. We'll get to that in just a moment. The promise of meditation, though, of God's word is, you'll be blessed, verses one and two. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And there's a lot of voices in our heads that promise blessing. A lot of voices that tell us what the good life is. If you, if you get your financial life in order, you'll be blessed. There's a truth in that. The good life is found in financial freedom. The good life is found in pleasure. The good life is found in independence. And in our society, it's kind of this idea that the good life is found in doing whatever you want to be, to be utterly autonomous and independent. But biblically, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? The Bible takes far too long to explain this, and we, we did, we did uh, talk about this idea of blessing just recently, but to summarize quickly, to, to be blessed by God is to enjoy God's smile, to, to live in light of his goodness and his fullness, his shalom, to receive him in your life. And there are promises in here of blessing. And I want to say this is wisdom literature. And so the promise is not that if you delight in God's law and meditate on it day and night, that you will always be prosperous. You will always be healthy. You'll always be wealthy. That's not the promise, but there is a promise of blessing. And ultimately, that blessing is a rest in the Lord. Ultimately, the blessing that God offers us in this life is that your heart can find its home in resting and delighting in God. St. Augustine talked about this. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O Lord. And what Augustine meant by that is not that there is this magic wand that when you come to faith in Jesus, that automatically the day that you have faith or decide, yes, I'm going to walk with him, that there's this wand that gets, you know, said over you. And then all of a sudden you find your heart's complete rest. Oh, how I wish that were true. What, what a powerful thing that would be for us and everyone we know. That's not the way it is, though, and you know that. Instead, when you begin to trust him, believe in him, walk with him, you begin a journey of increasingly learning what it means to rest in him, find your hearts blessed in him, and a soulish rest that we're going to be talking about today, blessed. There are two types of counselors in this psalm. There are two types of people, in essence, in this psalm, and it is the person that delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on that, and the person that meditates on the counsel of the wicked, the psalmist says. Now, the older translations of the Bible use the term ungodly instead of wicked. And in a way, I prefer that. Let me tell you why. When you and I hear the word wicked, we too easily remove ourselves from that category. So here's the deal. Like when you hear wicked, you hear 
Hitler and a whole host of other people that you can't stand, right? So they're the wicked people, they're the bad people, but that's certainly not me, so I must be in the other group. But I want you to see, even you believer, okay, that even though we, we have faith, there's a sense in which at times we are listening to the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly, and this is what I mean. We normally reserve the word wicked for axe murders and likes of Hitler, but ungodly actually means building your life apart from God. To have a building plan that doesn't have God at the center of it. And so when you define it that way, and that is how to define it, what you realize is this, that in essence, we all live there. Every one of us, from the most faithful follower of Jesus in this room to the least. You, we all have moments and times where we are building our life apart from God. We are living according to the counsel of the ungodly. And what the psalmist is saying, though, and it's helpful to have two categories there is the person that is increasingly meditating on the law of the Lord and is blessed. And there is the person that is increasingly meditating on the counsel of the ungodly and in essence is cursed. We don't want to be this person. <laughs> there is a trajectory that we see in this passage as well. And there's an implicit warning to us all. He says here that there is this trajectory. There's this sense in which the person who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, he begins with walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And for many of us, this is like a form of temptation. Like, so we're tempted by something, and so we walk in that counsel. We walk in that idea. We meditate in that idea. But then the next level, that's sort of like level one dealing with this. But then level two is standing in the counsel of the ungodly. I was now tempted by it, but now I've sort of stopped in it. And then what's the third level in this passage? It's the, the person who is walking in the counsel of the ungodly, who's standing in the counsel of the ungodly, and then what does it say? What is the third and final layer of it? Sitting. And so there's this sense of which there's this trajectory that people are on through what you meditate on, what I meditate, what you meditate on, will lead you into a person that is increasingly walking, sitting, and eventually are standing and then sitting in the council that you meditate on. He's saying there is a trajectory, there is a momentum, there is a path that we're walking towards, and it shapes you. What he's saying is what you meditate on will change your life. The person that is walking, standing, and sitting. C.S. Lewis teaches that we're increasingly becoming people that will either be fit for heaven or hell. We're increasingly becoming people that will feel at home in the coming kingdom where all of life is about God's glory and enjoyment of God and loving your neighbors yourself because that is the, the ultimate biblical ethic is to love God and love your neighbor. You're either becoming a person that's increasingly at home in that place or you're increasingly becoming a person that is at home in the place of loving of yourself only and that is what hell is. There's more to it and there's a mystery there. But we know at essence, it is a rebellion against God's desire for worship of him, love of him, and love of your neighbor. It's all about you, your pleasures, your design, your desires. There is a trajectory, and there's an implicit warning. What you meditate on will lead you into a type of person that the Bible is contrasting. How? 
What is meditating on the Lord, uh, law of the Lord look like? What does that mean biblically? What, how, do we, how do we do that? We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this morning, but normally, let me ask you this. What normally comes to mind when you think of the word meditation? How do we meditate on the word of the Lord? What normally comes to mind when you think of the word meditation? Yeah, some of you are doing this, right? So like you're, you're, it's legs crossed, you got incense, right? You're burning incense, you're, you're uh, some candles, maybe you're in a chapel, but, uh, and you're saying things like, um, right? And uh, you're clearing your mind. What we think of as Eastern meditation. We're clearing our mind of stuff. We're, we're trying to focus on nothing and just take it all out of ourselves. But that's not what biblical meditation is. It's not to clear the mind, it's to fill the mind with God's word. And to be mindful of that and thoughtful of that, internalizing that. More on that in just a minute. Pastor and author, theologian Eugene Peterson, I think has the best definition. He's a, he's a biblical scholar. Uh, he, he understands the original languages very, very well. And he tells this story to describe what this word means of a little dog he used to have in Montana. He, he lives in Montana. He grew up in Montana, and they have this cabin in the woods in Montana. You can Google it and see it because he recently hosted Bono of U2 at his cabin. It's really cool. And he talks about this little dog that he and his wife had, and this dog would go into the woods and find this enormous shank bone all the time of a deer or an elk and, and drag it back. And he said the, the bone would be as big as the dog or, or bigger, and he would prance and play before us with his prize, he writes, wagging his tail, proud of his find, courting our approval. And of course, we approve. We lavish praise, telling him what a good dog he was. But then after a while, of course, what does the dog do? He takes the bone away from you into a hiding place, and he begins to gnaw on the bone. If you've got a dog, you've seen this, right? We go up to the woods near uh, Christopher Creek a lot, and when we're up there, our dog finds these enormous elk bones, uh, deer bones, all kinds of crazy bones up there. And she finds these bones, and the delight she takes in finding one of these can take her hours as she chews and gnaws. Uh, Eugene Peterson talks about he, how the dog would just slowly growl over the bone, was in no hurry, would worry over the bone, he says. That's the way our dog does with these. Peterson later saw in his study of Isaiah, in Isaiah 31, there's a passage that says, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. And he studied that word growl, and it's the word Hagah in Hebrew, and it literally is the same word that the Old Testament writer in Psalm 1 uses for meditate on the law of the Lord, is to growl over its prey, to growl over a bone with delight like a dog does, unhurried, slowly chewing on it, delighting in what you have found. This is what the biblical author means by meditating on the word of the Lord. Is meditating reading? Is meditating on the word of the Lord reading the Bible? Yes, of course it is. But it's more than that. Is it prayer? Yes, it's, it's prayer. But it's more than that. And we'll get into that in just a minute in detail. You'll be blessed. The man or the woman who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on the word of God is blessed. And you'll be rooted. Verses three through four, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
Pastor Rankin Wilburn says this, the Bible does, uh, doesn't say blessed is the one who meditates. He's like a microwave oven. Instantly receiving the blessing, instantly getting the depth, instantly getting the rootedness. No, instead he's like a tree planted by streams of water and the analogy is instructive. I love seeing a tree rooted and planted by a stream of water more than ever in my life. And it's because I live in a desert. I've got trees that grow in my yard because I've got little, you know, water lines hooked up everywhere. But where I grew up, there were actual trees that just existed. They didn't, they didn't need a hose to feed it every day because they were trees that had a source of water and they were big trees with huge branches, oak trees. We had a, a, a tree in our backyard that was over 200 years old. And it was, it was beautiful and enormous. So when we're driving like out of the valley and up north in any direction, you drive past these streams and, think, and, and you'll see in a stream like in Sedona, next to the stream, a sycamore tree. I love sycamore trees. And in Sedona, Oak Creek and these other canyons, they're, they're filled and lined with these huge sycamore trees that are rooted by streams of water. And it's an arid place. It's the only place in Sedona these things are going to grow because there's water there, but they are rooted and they go deep and their branches are enormous like the trees I grew up with and their leaves are huge and, and beautiful. They're deciduous trees and I love these trees and this is what's offered in this passage. That you, if you meditate, if you meditate on the, the law of the Lord, you're not, you're not like some branch or chaff that he's talking about in just a second. You become like a tree that is deeply and profoundly rooted next to a source of water. The psalmist contrasts two types of people. The person that meditates on the law of the Lord is like a tree planted with roots. And the person that meditates on the counsel of the ungodly is like chaff. Now, chaff's not a word we really use anymore. We, we use it, but for, it, it's a totally different context. It's like chafing. Chaff is husk and straw removed by threshing, keeping the kernel of, of the grain. And, and so the chaff is like the husk of a piece of grain. When they would make bread, they would take wheat or corn or whatever, and they would take away the chaff to get to the kernel so they would have flour. What's left is the chaff. It's dry. It's empty, it's weightless, it has no value or meaning, and it's blown by the wind. Woody Allen, Woody Allen, the, the great director, uh, a lot of people really enjoy. He, he has a new series out in Netflix. It's not getting great reviews. The hard thing about Woody Allen for me is that every, every movie I've seen of his, I just feel like is exactly like the other movies I've seen, but he's, he's, he has some brilliance, we know this. The hard thing for me with Woody Allen, though, is that he had a 12-year relationship with a lady named Mia Farrow, an adult his age. And together, they adopted a young girl named Soon Yi. Allen later began to court and eventually have a long-term relationship with Soon Yi, his stepdaughter. And when he was interviewed by Time Magazine about the scandalous relationship dating his stepdaughter... He says this, the heart wants what the heart wants. There's no logic to those things. You meet someone and you fall in love and that's it. And he is actually right. 
The heart wants what the heart wants, but how does the heart get to a place where you court a minor that's your stepdaughter and you pursue her romantically? (laughs) Because your heart has meditated on the counsel of the ungodly for such a long place that you are now sitting in it and that you're willing to do the unthinkable. That's how. The heart wants what the heart wants. What does your heart want? God not only changes our position, he begins to change our desires so that we want more and more of him to walk with him. The psalmist is contrasting the tree and chaff. And the thing about chaff is it's like a tumbleweed versus the tree. You think about tumbleweeds. To me, tumbleweeds were just stuff in westerns, right, until I moved out here. And then you see legitimate tumbleweeds, like, actually in existence. And and they're blowing around, and they look like they're having a lot of fun compared to the sycamore that's just stuck in one place. And they're rolling around, and they're blowing around. But they used to be rooted. And then they died, and they became uprooted. And now they are just rolling. And do they have freedom? They have freedom. But they only have the freedom that the wind takes them. And for us, that is our heart's desires. Wherever your heart wants, you begin to obey that. Think about people in your life that only do what their heart wants. They're ruled by their desires. Are they free? There's a level of freedom there. But they are ruled by the addictions of their desires. The heart wants what the heart wants. The person, though, who delights in God's law and meditates is not like tumbleweed, not blown around, is deeply rooted. And to many of us, that sounds boring and mundane to sit in one place. But the law of the Lord is beautiful. And we're called to put roots down, to have stability. And as a society, we are cutting our roots for the sake of freedom and autonomy. But does that freedom give us less anxiety? Is that freedom giving us less despair? Is that freedom giving us less weightlessness? You know the answer. A tree lacks the freedom of the tumbleweed, but it is anchored in a living stream. And this is the promise of meditation on the word of the Lord. The person that meditates on the law of the Lord is blessed, The person that meditates on the law of the Lord is rooted. And there's a third point to that in just a second. But right now I want to talk about the practice of meditation. And as your pastor and leads a team of elders, it is our heart's desire, brothers and sisters, that you would become increasingly a people that are meditating on God's word in order to become a particular type of person that loves God and loves your neighbor. Meditating on God's word is reading the Bible, but it's much more than that. It's it's reading the Bible, of course, but there are types of reading. You know this. My boys are blessed to go to an amazing school. It's a charter school. It's free, but it's a classical education where they read the great canon of Western civilization. What does that mean? Well, it means like there's literally a list of great books. There's lots of good books, and then there are the great books that have stood the test of time. And they read these books, and we'll ask them all the time, like, have you, you've got a test coming up this week. Like, have you read the book? What do they say? Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've read the book. And we say, okay, so 
what they mean by reading the book and what meditating on the law of the Lord means by reading the book are far two different things. And it saddens me because this education is being wasted on knucklehead junior high and senior high boys that they only care about skateboarding and catching fish and, and, and doing guy stuff. But this amazing education I would gladly take, you know? They read to get through the material so they can say they're done. They read looking for Google hints and, and you know, websites to give a summary to tell them what they should have read. They don't delight in the law of Homer, you know? They just don't yet. <laughs> There's two, two different kinds of reading. You can pick up your Bible and read it and say, I've been a good boy, I've been a good girl, I read my Bible today. But there's reading. And it's not at a hurried pace. And I love the Bible plans. I'm going to read the Bible in the year. I'm all for that. If you've never done that, please do that. But the problem with that is it's got you on a plan. You feel like you're in a hurry. Whoops, it's midnight. I haven't read today. And you're reading and you're reading and you're reading. But that is not meditating on the word of the Lord. I want you to know that. Meditating on God's word, it's, it's Bible reading, it's prayer, but it's, it's a slow reading that begins with a desire and an expectation for God to actually show up and visit with you. That's the difference. There is an expectation that through the slow reading of scripture that you will be moved to prayer and response, but it's first listening to God's word and expecting God to actually come and speak to you. So you can't do this without faith. And let me qualify. When I say speak, I'm not talking audible words, okay? We believe that the Spirit of God has, has written the Scripture, not literally. He moved through human beings to write it, but He inspired the Word. And as we read the Word, the Holy Spirit illumines realities to us of what He meant in the original context, but then also to your life. And to get to that place where you're slowly reading and listening to the Holy Spirit, what he might be speaking into your life, it takes time. And my fear is, as you hear this, you say, well, that's why we pay you, Scott. We give our tithes and our offerings, so you and the other pastors and the elders, we expect you guys to do this kind of thing. We expect you guys to read the law of the Lord and meditate on it, and then you deliver the goods on Sunday, and we go on about our life. We don't have time for this. And if my expectation is for you to spend hours meditating on the law of the Lord every week, then I know these expectations are probably not going to be met. But it is my desire as your pastor that throughout your week, there are times, moments, where you're stopping and pausing to meditate on the law of the Lord. Why? Because it shapes you into a kind of person, and you are always meditating. Always. What does it look like? How do, how, how do we move through this? I want you to see the handout that I gave you today. Um, and so in a, for this part, it's kind of like a seminar, but I want, I want to read this to you, and I want, I want you to keep this in your Bible as you learn how to do this. It begins with preparation. We quiet our hearts to listen to God as we read his word, believing that as the children of God, our good Father invites us into his presence. Many of you don't believe that. You don't believe the Father wants you in his presence, but he does. By, because of Jesus, he does. We come knowing that God speaks to us through his word, and we expect him to speak. It's a different, it's, I'm not reading the Bible for information. I'm reading the Bible not only for the information, but also for the Holy Spirit to speak into my life. Reflection. 
preparation, reflection. We read scripture slowly, reflecting on a passage with the goal of internalizing and personalizing the word. Eugene Peterson writes, chew on the words that you've read a bit. Ponder them. Let God bring something to the forefront of your mind. What word or phrase is God drawing out from these words specifically for you? Let that word or phrase resonate in your mind. What does it make you feel or think? Stop here and let the word or phrase sink in. I do this with a a journal next to me, a a little moleskin journal that I wait. Just as he says, and I'll write down that word that comes to mind or that thought. And I'll, I'll listen. I'll slow myself down. After reflection, we're moved to adoration. We give thanks to the Lord and worship him for what his word is showing us, illumining and lighting to us. And as we reflect on God's word, we're moved to worship him and we journal, draw, sing, or any number of other responses. You artists, this is a wonderful way to reflect on God's word and then let your imagination go. Paint, dance, do whatever that that you feel moved to in light of what God is showing you. Confession. We see that we have sinned against the Lord and what we've done and what we've left undone. We confess all the things that the Lord is showing us we've, we've not done. There are things that we should be doing that we're not doing. There are other things that we should not be doing that we are doing. We petition. We pray for the Lord to assist us as we seek to live out what we've learned through meditating on his word. And we pray for the needs of others. We pray for what we've learned. In light of that, we say, Lord, help me to love you more. Help me to love my neighbor more. Help my family to love you more. Help my fa- you know, family to love their neighbor more. My church, my friends, the people in my small group. How can I serve? And there are other resources here for you as well. As we reflect on Psalm 1, and we kind of walk through this, you would have read Psalm 1 in your time together. I just want to kind of walk you through what this would look like. If I were doing this in my own time with Psalm 1, I would read that and I would say, God wants to bless me. And I would see that there are two types of people that, that meditate. We're all meditating, and, but he wants to bless me. He wants, he wants to root me. He wants me to be able to stand. I adore a God who wants to bless me. How, what good news, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, wants to bless even me. He wants me to delight in him more and more. I adore him for that. I love him. I move to worship. I confess to him that that's not true of me, though. That in spite of all the scripture that I've meditated on and all the time that I've spent in prayer and thought and meditation over the years, I still feel fail to love him with my whole heart and fail to love my neighbors myself. I confess that to him. I'm real with him about that. And then I go to him in petition and I pray and beg for more mercy, more grace to follow him more carefully. Make me, Lord, more like a tree and less like tumbleweed. Father, the society I live in is like chaff and I get sucked up in it. My emotions, I, I, I can't even blame anyone else. Myself, Lord, I'm like chaff. My heart, my, my thought life, my, my inclinations and desires are like chaff, Father. I'm like a tumbleweed at times. Father, help me. Help me to root myself in your word and your love and your, your power. Help me to be more established in who you are. Help my church to be more established. Help my family to be more established. Friends, when this is happening in my life on a routine basis, I experience a level of intimacy with the Lord like no other. My time with you is more fruitful. 
My time in preaching is more fruitful. My time with my children, my, my patience goes up. The fruit of the Spirit, I see more evidence of it. And you say, I don't even want to do this. <laughs> and you know what I'm going to say, do it anyway. I don't know how to do this. You won't know how unless you try. How do you delight in the law of the Lord? How do you meditate? You learn to do it by doing it. This is just a guide. I literally put in parentheses, a guide, because it's not, there is no roadmap of always how to do it. Just get started, slowly reading, being moved to prayer. It's exciting what the Lord may do in your life. There's a third, there's a third promise. It's that you'll be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. Psalm 1, 5 through 6, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. But you will, he says. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. How can I read that? And after being so honest with the ungodliness that I see in my own life, in your life, in our society, how can I have any confidence that as I re read this that I will be able to stand in the counsel of the righteous? Because <laughs> I've already admitted, the more I meditate on the word of the Lord, I don't walk away going, I really am in the category of the righteous. Like, that's just me. It's not what I read. I usually read and go, man, there's way too much chaff. <laughs> more like a tumbleweed, less like a tree. So how can I have confidence to stand Stand with the righteous in that congregation. Because as I have spent my, much of my adult life studying and meditating on the word of the Lord, guess what it points to? From the Old Testament, through all the wisdom literature, through all the, through all the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, it's all pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament's all pointing to Christ ultimately. What about the New Testament? Of course it's pointing us to Jesus. You and I can stand in the counsel of the righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. And I've got like five other sermons I want to unload on you right now, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, the good Father, that you don't even trust fully yet, but he's good. He made him, his son, his one and only son, the good Father made His one and only Son to be sin. If you're, if you're a parent, you know how profound this is. The good Father, let me ask you this, I've asked you a hundred times, does the good Father love the Son? Does the Father, the triune Father of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, does He love the Son? Church, does He love the Son? He loves the Son. He made him who knew no sin, the Son, to be sin. Why? His only Son, whom he loves. Why did he make him to be sin? That means he literally places the sin of the world on the Son. Why did he do that? Why? Is he just cruel? Is he horrible? Is he wicked? Is he the abuser? He did it because he loves you. He loves you so that you would never have to receive what the Son gladly, joyfully, willingly received that we deserved. We doubt His goodness. We doubt the Father's love. We don't think He wants us to come into His presence. But He, the good Father, made Him His only Son that we know He loves to be sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. 
You're righteous because Jesus is righteous. You're forgiven because Jesus lived and died for you. You have the hope of heaven and his resurrection because he lived, he died, he rose again. He was and is and is to come. And he's yours by faith. Some of you believe. Now meditate on it more. Walk in that. Meditate on the law of the Lord. It will change you. Others of you don't believe. It's time to believe this. The rest of the world is chaff, my friends. It's a tumbleweed. Look around you. Do you see righteous oaks planted by streams of water or do you see tumbleweeds? In culture, in politics, in in the financial world, in industry, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your own life, your family, what do you see more of? Tumbleweeds or trees rooted and planted by streams? Friends, there's blessedness in following Jesus. Follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word that when we delight in and meditate on and we go to you expecting you to speak, that you root and establish us, you ground us in your love and you give us strength to know you to experience your love, to walk in your way. Father, these are perilous times, these are difficult days, but we pray, God, for your church, your people, to be moved by your spirit, to cling to you, run to you, to meditate on you, day and night. Even in those moments where there is a hurried pace to life, that we would quiet our hearts for a moment, even if it's a minute or two, to meditate on your goodness and your law and your love. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.